history in Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. This is Cody. I'm joined here with Ben. And Ben, how's everything going? Uh, everything's going great. We're about on our sixth take for trying to start this thing. You know, the hardest part about the podcast is actually getting going. Like, we always feel like we're scripted at the beginning, and it never feels natural. And we always forget that we have that, that great Dabo intro uh, that we pipe in. Speaking of which, don't you think it's about time to change up uh, some of the quotes on there? We had some good ones this year. We have so much gold to choose from from this previous year, which I like the, the final one there. Where he says, or the last one, where he says, what does he say? In which game? The Alabama game? No, the, the, the one from our actual intro. He says, um, if they say we can't do it, what, what they, they say, say now. now. Uh, I don't even know where that came from, but I think that's the best one. <laughs> Anyhow, we do need to, we need to, we got BYOG, we got a lot of stuff. Bring Your Own Guts has to make it in there for sure. Yeah, which I wasn't a huge fan of. I think he's got better stuff. But, but it's got to go. I mean, it's it's, it's the one, it's the one from the season that actually stands out in your mind, and everybody remembers it from the from the Notre Dame game. It was a huge moment and turning point in the season where we really knew that this team was going to be pretty good. I mean, how much money did Nike make off of BYOG T-shirts? I had friends that bought that shirt, like you know, I think it came out the next day. It's like it was almost it was it was almost to the point where it was scripted, and they had shirts made ahead of time. <laughs> it could have been. I mean. What, Anyway, speaking of that, I was going to say we probably needed the injection of money. That's going to be something we're going to talk about today is the student ticket you know, crisis is what, it's, what it seems to be in, in Clemson. We're going to talk about that. We're going to do like a quick recap of the, the spring game. We did a little bit more in-depth analysis, some film review. Obviously, we've read people that are a lot smarter than us. We've, let, we've read their, their articles and um, their film review and give, uh, I guess, some of, some of our thoughts from that. And then... Uh, and then from there, we will talk about baseball and Seth Beer. Uh, so anyway, starting off, though, um, so Ben, I know you had a crazy weekend. We were involved heavily with our uh, Clemson Alumni Association out here. I uh, wanted to kick it to you to talk about what you guys did. Yeah, no, it was great. We have a, we have a really great uh, Clemson alumni group out here in San Francisco. Uh, never would have thought that. We talk about it often, but never would have thought that when I moved out here, but uh you know, it's not just the football season. We've grown into a tight group of friends, a lot of us. And, uh, you know, we get together and do activities in the off season as well. And some of that involves uh, charity events. And we did a, a very uh, uh, exciting and important charity event over the weekend. We participated in a flip cup competition, which if you don't know what that is, it's a drinking game um, involving... Uh, Chugging, uh, chugging some beer and then flipping a cup. If you don't, if you don't know what that is, I don't know if you should be listening to a Clemson football podcast. But in all, it was for a good cause. It was, um, it was a, it was a charity that that, that deals with organs, um, as in you know, like your liver. Which what we were doing to our liver during that competition, it's, it's kind of odd and ironic, I suppose. Uh, but. Uh, one of our uh, uh, fellow alumni out here, Libby, uh, was heading that up, and we had a great time. It's a good opportunity to get together with friends and other other uh, Clemson folk. There was uh, Clemson teams actually finished second and third in the competition, so not too bad. How many teams were there total? Of whopping four teams. So you know you're, you're towing the line there. Uh, you know, hang, hanging right there in the middle, pretty average. Uh, but whatever, it was a great time. Um, it was a blast. It's, it's great to see everybody and, and do stuff in the off season. Yeah, and, it, and I know last year we did a—I uh, can't remember the name—but girls on the run, girls on the run, where we went out for a bunch of young girls running like a little marathon, and we went and just rooted them on, and they they loved that. They absolutely loved it. The people that ran the the marathon actually asked us to come back. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I mean it was just. Um, it was really cool to be able to cheer, cheer the girls on. They loved it. Um, very rewarding, and uh, it's, it's very good. I think if you're not part of your alumni association, if you live in probably a, a bigger city, then I would definitely encourage you to either join it or start it because that's kind of what we did here in, in San Francisco. Well, and even if you are in one, again, having these kind of off-season activities where you get involved and in get you know, giving back to your community. We're going to do the Girls on the Run uh, thing again this year, I think. Um, 
And, you know, it's a great way to, you know, it makes you feel good, number one, to get back to your community that you live in, but also to get the Clemson brand out there, especially like for us on the West Coast, you know, we go to the Girls in the Run event, we're wearing our Clemson shirts, and, and that starts a conversation because people see that we're a group from somewhere, not necessarily somewhere they've heard of. Uh, yeah, Clemson was just in the national title game in, in football. Um, that doesn't mean that people on the West Coast know who the hell you are. Like, I still get questions all the time of like, oh, what's Clemson? Or... Best part the other day, my Uber driver uh, saw my tiger paw on my cap and was like, are you a dog lover? I see the paw on your cap. I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. It's like one of the most iconic uh, things in college athletics is the Clemson paw. But not everybody knows. Clemson's a small school from uh, you know upstate of South Carolina. So, again, getting back to the community, getting out there, representing your school, it's, it's awesome. Great point. And I'll say that the Clemson brand – is it's it's out there for the people I talk to that actually aren't too far removed, don't have their head in the sand when it comes to sports. They know about Clemson mainly because of the football team. I would say ninety nine percent it's because of the football team. Well, that's um, the thing. But Clemson is so much more than sports, so it's great to be known for other things uh, too, and just and have people see us like it being a, a group that's giving back. Like we want to be known for for more than sports as well. I think it's very cool, and uh, I'd like to think it's going to be our our help, our initiatives, to, uh, you know, with charities and things like that that get the brand out. But you have to think with uh, our football team success in twenty years, everyone will know what Clemson, who Clemson is. They might not know what state we're in, but they'll know who we are, and they'll know we have a good football team. And I mean, that's I guess that's that's all you, I can ask for. In the past year, I've gotten Tennessee and Indiana of people guessing where Clemson was. I mean, do you know where Notre Dame is? South Bend, Indiana. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> Anyhow, well, let's let's get into um, the ticket scandal crisis. Um, I don't. There's a lot of different things floating around. A lot of different viewpoints. There's a petition by the students to. I mean. I, anyhow, I'll get into my thoughts. I'll start. I'll start with you. But I, I just let me say this though. I think the the bigger world of, of college athletics. It's in particularly football. It's it's a cash cow. There's so much money in it and. We we did a pay for play um, kind of argument over the off season last year, where in you know in the, in the industry it was a big topic, and, um, and and now I think at least in Clemson's world with us having the notoriety going to the national championship game, we're finally seeing it hit home where coaching salaries are out the roof now, um, facilities upgrades it's talking about millions and millions of dollars when uh, you look at the. Students who are in in in, uh, in debt because of student loans and, and all these other things. Anyway, anyway, a lot of I guess higher level things, but I think it's it's just now hitting home in Clemson that hey, this is this is this is a uh, this is for money. Or it's the cost is, of doing business, right? It's the cost of doing business. It's in big time college athletics. It's about the money, and anyhow, so this is just falls with under that umbrella. It's just a subset of that, but. Anyway, Ben, what are what are your thoughts on that? Well, and, and listen, you you look at the teams. I mean, the the stats are out there. Um, you look at the schools that uh, bring in the most money in, in their athletic departments, and these are schools with huge enrollments. They're not private schools with small enrollments like you, you Wake Forest of the world. Uh, they're big schools, and Clemson is not a big school. And the fact we've been able to compete at such a high level in football recently, in baseball over the course of you know you know, the past few decades. Um, and then even soccer, our soccer team played in the national championship game. Our golf teams are usually fairly good. So the fact that we've been able to do that um, at a disadvantage when it comes to stuff like that is is actually pretty amazing in itself. I think that goes a long way to the part of the people we have running the programs, but also um, uh, just because to the community that Clemson is. But listen, having that disadvantage, we may be able to be good like in football, for a certain amount of time, we have Dabo, things are going well. Um, but can it really sustain itself over the course of several years when you are at that big of a disadvantage? We're talking about millions and millions of dollars of, of difference between what Clemson brings in and what the major programs bring in. I mean, that's, that's a great question. And on this issue, I can honestly see both sides of the argument. I kind of argue both sides. Before you do that, I think Mickey Plowler, who uh, you know, radio personality in, in Clemson, Greenville area, he had an article today where he talked about that that difference. And, and like for an example of that is Texas A&M makes brings in a hundred million more per year on average than Clemson in revenue, their athletic uh, department, and and that's the majority of that is is football. 
And then Carolina, South Carolina, brings in about $30 million more. And that's obviously football, but that's attributed to the SEC network and the cash cow that that is and versus the ACC. Anyway, but South continue. Carolina brings in $30 million more, but I think Columbia, South Carolina, is like a $100 million <laughs> deficit. So really, when you balance that out, they're about $70 million behind Clemson. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway, I'll let you continue with your argument, but I just wanted to give it, give it a little bit more context because that's, that's an important distinction it's important to know that even a team like Carolina that had such a lackluster year versus us who had an amazing year we're still 30 million dollars behind them well and they have a lackluster history to be honest with you I mean their baseball program has done well their their women's basketball program um has done well you know they're they're a really strong bass fishing school right here um <laughs> but listen the fact of the matter is we're talking about 225 dollars here things change I know it's been a tradition at Clemson uh, that the students don't have to pay. But this is very unlike uh, other schools. Like, big-time schools charge their students uh, for tickets, at, at least a certain uh, faction of them, and maybe sometimes even all of them. So this is not unheard of. This is not, you know, paving a new road or paving a new way that uh, the DRAD is, is coming up with this this idea. Um, it's, it's a very common thing. And to think that Clemson's above that, uh, when we're trying to compete and we're trying to compete for national championships and this, we have a fan base that isn't going to be satisfied with not competing for national championships, um, it's kind of hypocritical, to be honest with you. I mean, listen, if as a student I could have paid $225 a year for Aaron Kelly to have caught that ball in the Boston College game or – to, you know, to see us not get blown out against West Virginia in the Orange Bowl, you know, I would have gladly done that. So you wouldn't have seen me complaining too much to see us put a better product on the field. To, and, and that's just what it costs. I mean, it's, it's going to cost money to do that. I mean, Dabo's going to get a raise. Like, he came in at a, a very low price when he came in from being an interim uh, head coach and unproven head coach. But now he's doing something, and he's taking uh, Clemson places uh, where we haven't seen them go in a very long time. And he's, that's going to start to cost more money. That money's going to have to come from somewhere. By the way, I like what D-Rad said about Dabo and his raise. And I think most people are okay with it. I think most people... It, it kind of it's it's weird. It's it's a new like new heights in terms of salary for a head coach at Clemson. Um, again, cost of doing business, cost of being an elite program. But he said, "Hey, we for years we wanted an elite coach, we wanted a top ten coach." He was like, "Well, now we've got one, and this is the this is what they cost. You want it, you want an elite coach, a top ten coach? You got to pay them like they are a top ten coach, right? Or do you want to go back to the Tommy Bowden days <laughs> where we're losing to Wake Forest or something like that? I mean, I mean, yes, okay, I understand." That money can come from other places, but you do have to start getting creative. Um, my cr critique of this situation is it seemed like very poor timing on the athletic department's uh, part and, and DRAD of kind of releasing this idea. I don't think anything's set in stone yet, but at the same time when Debo's contract um, new deal comes out, I, I think it was kind of poor timing in, in the PR. The Department of Hell is released, but... I'm not. I'm not so against it. It doesn't offend me so much. Yeah, that's easy for me to say because I'm not a student anymore. Um, but again, it's 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 225 bucks. And listen, everybody doesn't have to pay that. Yeah, and it's important that you think about it. A, a lot of schools charge a athletic fee for which goes to the athletic program. Clemson doesn't do that. It's and they, and they build it into the cost of tuition. And that goes across all students. And if you think about it, even in Clemson, not every student cares about sports or goes to football games. Right. I mean, there's simply not the there's not enough seats. So even diehard fans don't go to football games. So now they're building it in. They're actually giving the students that want to go, they're giving them an option to pay to pay for it. And it's it's reasonable, I think. Yeah, and only part of them. It's not like if you don't pay, you don't get into the game. Right. right? You can still get a seat in the upper deck. Now, if that's if that's you know below you so to speak, like if you're just too good for the upper deck, well, maybe your priorities aren't aligned. Right, and they'll have, you know, exchanges and stuff. Students are smart now. They're young. They have technology. Somebody will create, a, create an app. <laughs> they'll create an app or, I mean, they can use StubHub and they'll probably get like a second rate uh, or second, uh, whatever you call it, secondhand price or whatever, and, and it'll be considerably lower for games that maybe they're not as desirable or people just can't go. Uh, I mean, conversely, some students might actually make money off of this by charging a premium. I don't know how they'll, they'll do that with like assigning a ticket to a given student, making sure that they have like their ID. That could be the case. I don't know. But um, anyway, it's not the end of the world. Uh, I saw a lot on 
No, at the end of the day, you can still, I mean, it's not like there's any less tickets available to students. And if anything, it might, um, you know, it, it might ensure that that lower deck is filled. You know, the student section is filled more because people have incentive to go because they're paying for it. My question is, I wonder about the, the, the Greek sections of whether or not that still applies to them. I know there's been a lot of controversy and criticism over the years of the Greek sections not being able to filling out um, their sections from their ticket allotments. I imagine it would be almost like those would be like the corporate buyers. Like the, I imagine they'd have to charge the Greek. There couldn't be a double standard there. They'd have to charge the Greek students or the, the fraternity. Well, you would hope so. And, and again, I'm, I'm not against this idea, but I, I think it needs to be done properly. And I think it needs to be well thought out because I think there is a way to really screw this up. That could be a huge negative and a black eye, at least within the Clemson community. Listen, the rest of the country doesn't give a damn about Clemson charging student ticket prices. They could, you know, care less about the petition being started. Uh, you know, it's, it's really just an internal thing. Uh, but we are such a tight-knit community that it does matter to a certain extent. I'll say, speaking of the community versus, you know, the national media. and, and So Andy Staples is a writer for SI, college football personality. He's incredibly bright, intelligent. Um, listen to him write, or read his work if you haven't. But he got on Twitter, and he was basically, for every, you know, kind of dumb or we'll say um, loud Clemson student on Twitter, he was, you know, sending out replies to them, retweets. Um, anyway, just, just basically saying, you know, supply and demand. Like if you understand these basic principles of supply and demand of capitalism. I, so I, I honestly, I think for one, I agree with him wholeheartedly. Like it's, we need an injection of money. Why not charge the students a reasonable fee? Uh, and, and you could say, well, they're already in student, in, or, uh, they're all already have student loans. They're already in major debt. Well, that's, that's, well, if you're in major debt, then a football game maybe isn't your number one priority to pay for when you could right. you know, watch it on TV. So, I mean, it's, it's actually a privilege to be able to go to these things. It's not a right. And we kind of lose sight of that sometimes because of all the privileges we do have and, and you know, living in this country and everything that comes along with that. But um, it, it's, it is a privilege. Yeah, I think it made the students of Clemson look kind of bad. And I don't think it was a huge story nationally, which is good because I don't think, I don't think the, uh, the students came away looking to, they looked like, Hey, give me a handout. Um, like they don't understand basic concepts of economics and, uh, and anyway, and there with the petition, it's like, it's a lot of the same principles of <laughs> an, a political ideology that a lot of them probably disagree with. Um, anyhow, so now, not to get into the political conversation, let, let, but... Let me put it this way, though. If I was a student, I'd be pissed, too. <laughs> if this would have happened when you were a student, would you be thinking the same way that we're thinking along these lines right now? I mean, not really. I worked when I was in school, which I bet 95% of them don't, which, and it's okay if you don't, whatever, good for you. But I, I wouldn't, personally. I, I would have worked. I probably would have went to a few games, but I... If, whatever. Well, let's say your senior year, um, at least under the ticket policy when we were there... And, you know, it kind of went uh, from top down from seniors, juniors, sophomores, freshmen about who got priority uh, in tickets. So you're coming into your senior year. You're all stoked because you're like, I'm finally going to get lower, lower deck tickets, you know, finally going to get some good seats. And they drop this bomb on you that's going to cost you 225 bucks. And not everybody's going to be able to afford that. Listen, not everybody's in the same economic situation. And we have to, we have to recognize that. It's not, for the most part, their fault that they aren't. It's not their fault that their parents can't pay for it if they can't. So, I mean, if that's you, how do you feel about that? You're going to be pissed off. Wait a minute. I think it's a great life lesson for seniors who are about to go into the working world. And the first one is life isn't fair. In fact, life... We'll kick you in the ass. But your senior year, prepped. your senior year of college and your last Clemson football season should be fair. That's what I'm arguing for. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a great life lesson learned early. Well, the good news There's is still better that, preparation for the working world. Well, the good news is it only applies to these seniors <laughs> because the ones after that are know what's going to be coming. Right. Uh, but listen, true. there's there's honestly there's it's amazing to me like how fired up you know the students can get because there's a lot more. Uh, kind of uh, dire topics and headlines, you know, going on on the Clemson, Clemson campus right now that deserve a lot more uh, passion behind than the fact that they're talking about possibly charging the students two hundred half half the student section two hundred twenty five dollars for tickets. 
But again, I can see it from both sides. I'm not so far removed from being a student uh, to think that I wouldn't be the same way. Be like so pissed off. Be like, oh man, what are they doing? Charging us for tickets? Clemson has never done that before. Why are they starting now? That's not fair. Um, at the same time, i have uh, old enough to have enough life lessons to understand you know, why it's a reasonable thing to do. Right, and I think they'll get it down the road. They don't now. Um, anyhow, and I know... I think they'll get over it pretty quickly. Right, and I think especially if we win, if we get to a playoff, win a championship, yeah, 250 bucks. Well, yeah, what a great deal, and you probably sold a couple of those tickets and made some money. So anyhow... If we pay, if we win a championship, I will pay one student 225 bucks for that having got us there. <laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna to write hold, that hold, down hold, right now. Hold me to it. Yeah, for real. But at the end of the day, though, it's um, the outrage that some people, even former uh, students, have shown is like they're charging people going away from tradition. And even you're against it. You know, you're an old man. Get off my porch, Ben. Like, hey, there's this is not not that crazy. Um, it's kind of the way the world works. Uh, you, you buy things, you get things. Um, there's not a whole lot of handouts in, in most on most in most cases. Listen, they're not changing the school colors from orange to green. Get over it. We're not, you know, God forbid, going to wear any cool Nike uniforms that might deviate from what we've been wearing for the last. Actually, we are, by the way, but uh, we're not going to wear, you know, Christmas tree um, ornaments, looking helmets like Oregon. So, anyhow, let's let's move on. I think we both kind of feel the same, or you're a little bit more. I guess objective. You see both sides. I, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more leaning towards it's a good move. So let's talk about football, the spring game. When we first, when we first kind of analyzed the game, it was just right off the right from the the end of the game. We we went straight into it. We didn't have any. We didn't really have a chance to analyze the film, uh, watch the replay, read any articles. You know, frankly, I think we did a pretty good job. And the uh, the co- the coverage was not great. The camera, I felt like it was all over the place. They were trying to do. Yeah, you know, interviews down on the sidelines, and it just it made for a mess of like a of a production. Well, and like whole plays would be going on, and the cameras focus on Deshaun Watson. I mean, I understand why you would focus on Deshaun Watson, but we couldn't see anything else in the frame. Yeah, for the people that are watching that game, what you want to see, you want to see both lines of scrimmage. You want to so you can eye in on someone, and you, maybe it's Trey Lamar, maybe it's Shaq Smith, maybe it's Christian Wilkins at strong side defensive end. But they would be you know doing these interviews or. Uh, Trying to, like you said, try, trying to zone in on, uh, on on Deshaun Watson, and before you know it, you, the play is active, and all you see is Deshaun Watson, you know, t- cutting open the uh, secondary. Hey, listen, it's spring practice for the camera guys too. You know, they're breaking in some new guys, they're breaking in some freshmen. You know, they're not going to be on top of everything. They're not going to have the playbook down. <laughs> so, you know, we got to got to cut them a little. You know, you know, cut them a little slack here for the spring game, and you know, hope they have it. You know, they have the off season in the summer to really shore things up, and you know, be ready to go when the season starts. Right. Give us some good camera angles. Right, yeah. I mean, this is the, the C squad, but you know, anyhow. So what observations from the game, things that I noticed? Well, one, I looked at the line of scrimmages, uh, the line of scrimmage, and that, that's easy. I think you can see a lot there. It's hard to zone in on guys from the secondary because, frankly, you just don't have that wide of a view. But I watched Mitch Hyatt, and he was unbelievable. You didn't see much from uh, Cleveland Farrell because he was shut down. He couldn't. He looked good. He looked athletic. You could see his length. He was very uh, high motor. He didn't give up. And that's the thing I look for in a defensive end. But when he was matched against Mitch Hyatt, for one, he just couldn't do anything. And that's that's a great sign starting out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would much rather if I have uh, our defensive end going up against uh, – our offensive tackle, Mitch Hyatt, is an offensive tackle. Um, I, I'd rather see the tackle, the offensive tackle, went out any day of the week. Right, because that, that's the guy that's protecting Deshaun Watson. And uh, Speaking of tackle, so another observation that I saw was Tremaine Ankrum, freshman. He was a guy, him and Pollard, I did want to see. Uh, Pollard, what I noticed from him was um, he looks good. He's He was bigger. He made he sh- made Noah Green look like a little small guy beside him. Did he stick out to you more than Ankrum did? No. Actually, he didn't. Physically. Physically, yes. I mean, well, you know what? I kind of take that back because I was really impressed. I mean, as, a, as a, just pure size. So at first glance, watching the game, I noticed Pollard in there and not Ankrum so much. Uh, that doesn't speak to their, their technique or how well they played in the game, but I, I did notice that about Pollard. Well, what you saw was Pollard was playing tackle, and uh, he was beside Noah Green, who was a second-year guy. Who like, he he was a lot bigger than him. He made him look like a, a lot smaller. But you don't usually see a tackle that much bigger than a guard. 
Anyhow, in terms of him versus Tremaine Ankrum, though, what I was surprised, I think Tremaine Ankrum, if they're going to redshirt one, and we'll see what happens when John Simpson gets to the program, but it's going to be Ankrum. He's probably going to keep forgetting about John Simpson. He's Yeah, he's still on the way, and he probably would be, I could see them not redshirting two off or two of the freshmen, and it could very well be um, be Paul or I'm sorry not Pollard but Ankrum and John Simpson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry to throw you off there and interrupt, but that just made me smile. So I'll let you keep going about Ankrum. No, that's it's great because I mean we look at guard depth, interior of the line looks looks great in terms of talent, quality, depth. We look at the tackle position. I mean, it, it, it is true. You talk about a tackle. We, we want our tackles to win battles. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because one Mitch Hyatt injury. I mean, things it could become a shit show really quick. And what does it say to, to to our recruiting, the fact that we have so many freshmen, it seems like, that are ready to play right away when they come in, and if not then, by the time they're sophomores. We're not ready for, waiting for these guys to develop uh, until they're juniors or seniors anymore. Like These guys are coming in fresh and green and, and still having an opportunity to, to, to play early on. In my opinion, it's... Well, yeah, obviously you can sell that to an offensive lineman. I mean, most of them are going to be ready till year two or three. And in the case of Tremaine Ankrum, he came in as a three-star. And we didn't know, for one, we didn't know if it was just a kind of a, a fallback plan because we had an extra scholarship. We missed on a lot of guys in recruiting. And Tremaine Ankrum, there he was, three-star guy out of Georgia, very good, uh, very good high school program. He looks great on film. But, you know, he, he, we didn't know what to think of him. And it turns out he not only is a three-star will not be a bust, he's going to be a really good player for us. And he's he very likely could be our second-string left tackle freshman year. True the, freshman the, year. The coaches spoke highly about him, though, right? And, and they do that about guys. And we think, oh, you know, Hunter Renfro. Dabo was just talking about Hunter Renfro. And then they turn out to be the legend of Hunter Renfro. I think the coaches, well, for one, the coaches have spoke highly of him and, and Pollard. What, what does that mean for an offensive lineman as true freshman? I think it just means you're putting in the work. But I think with Ankrum, I, think, I don't think they had an idea of how good he would be and how, how quick he could be that good. I think we, hit, we, we stole one there, and even we got lucky uh, on yeah. a three-star. It kind of reminds me of Grady Jarrett, who came in, Georgia product, um, not recruited by a lot of the, like even Georgia, I think, passed on Ankrum. Well, here you go. You know, we, we, we get a still here in the process. And, I mean, Again, I think Jarrett, he was a true freshman. He got some playing time. I think, Ankrum, you're going to see the same. Well, listen, a lot of the time, and this is what we have been doing, we've been attributing it to the recruiting. We're saying, oh, we're recruiting better the offensive line. We're really focusing on the offensive line. What does this say about the coaching? What does this say about Robbie Caldwell? I think he's. I think he does a great job as a coach. I think, um, well, for one, I mean, you're talking about true freshmen, so it's not so much coaching. I mean, in talking about Mitch Hyatt, not so much coaching, but I think with guys like Maverick Morris, Justin Fascinelli, um, I think Eric McLean, who you saw emerge late in his career, um, Joe Gore, that is that is coaching. Hey, we're, we have something to show you now. We will put guys in the NFL. You haven't seen it yet, really, but you will see it over the next few years. So um, going, going back to Pollard, though, I thought he looked good. I think just his size alone, he's going to be a really good player. I don't see him sticking at tackle. I just don't think he has the, the quickness. I think they're going to keep him inside at guard, and he'll be a dominant player in time. I don't know if it's going to be this year. Like, like you were saying, John Simpson still on the way. I think we might have some answers at tackle. I don't know. They're, look, Mitch Hyatt, when he goes out, if that were to happen – it's going to be a huge drop off. It doesn't matter if it doesn't matter who's filling in for most teams to have a guy like Mitch Hyatt. It, it, it will be, but you com, you combine that uh, if you you take that situation, but we have the competency that we do have on the offensive line and in the backups combined with uh, the bevy of talent we have, the skill positions uh, and at quarterback, and I, I still think we're okay. Um, I think the bright spot here, here and the thing to be uh, very excited about is the fact that we do have such a strong offensive line because we can see a bad offensive line cripple everything else you do on offense. You can have the best skill position players, wide receivers, running backs, quarterback, but if your offensive line is terrible, that will cripple you to a certain extent. You can only, you know, you can only go so far. But if you have a solid foundation to build from, you can even have weaknesses at some of those other positions and still be a strong offense. Right, and I think that's I mean, that's what makes this offense give me a little bit more confidence than if we had to go to Nick Schusler, if we had to go to Kelly Bryant. I think both guys that have some 
that are fundamentally flawed, uh, you know, in different aspects of their game. If you can have a for one a, a great running back with an offensive line, I feel like we might be a lot be- in a lot better shape than we were versus like you know the 2014 version of us. And that's all the more reason to feel to feel more comfortable now. If Deshaun Watson does go down, if you put Schuessler or Bryant back there with a terrific offensive line, one of the best Clemson has seen in years, with the you know ridiculous talent that we have at wide receiver. Gallman running back, die backing him up. I mean, you're not going to be so. It's not going to be, you know, that detrimental. You may not be. You're not definitely not going to be as great as you could be, but you're still be a damn good offense. Right, and I think, you know, there was uh, there was a post on the STS comments comment boards where they showed uh, it was just a, a short little video of video clip of us against Alabama where it was the third quarter, and this is going to hurt for a lot of Clemson fans, but we were, uh, we were about to take the lead, and we got to a point where we were moving the ball, and they couldn't stop us. There was momentum, a momentum shift going on. We were at the two-yard line, uh, one-yard line, whatever. We lined up in a power eye, which is, hey, we're bringing it at you. We're coming straight up the middle. And their historically good defensive line, which we heard about for two weeks or three weeks leading up, and Gallman just – takes it right up the middle and that was that was Crowder it was uh, Jay Guillermo and um, a couple of the other guys but they literally just imposed their will on that interior line of Alabama and yeah I think that's if this is a historically good offense which has has a chance of being and Kirk Kirk Herbstreet seems to think so as well it starts starts with the offensive line yeah I mean look at Alabama they've been doing this for years uh, they've been winning national championships with a great offensive line, uh, some great wide receivers, some really, really good running backs, some Heisman Trophy winning running backs, and a bunch of mediocre to crappy quarterbacks. Right. That, that look really good because, you know, they're system guys, whatever. And then for us, you throw in the best quarterback in the country, and bam, you have the best offense college football scene in a very long time. Just just hope for, uh, for Mitch Hyatt's health. That's I don't know. I would say he's probably up there as the number two or number three most important person on this whole team. And really, if you think about it, look through the depth chart, he probably is. Aside, maybe Tankersley can make a case for him, but Hyatt might be the number two or number two most important. That's kind of switching things to the defense. But I would, I would definitely say though, if Tank went down, that's a much bigger detriment than if Hyatt. I think we have. Again, competent guys that could back up high. They're not going to do nearly as well as him. Okay, that's fine. We understand that. But if Tank goes down, that's a different story. Yeah, and l- let me make a, like, for one, I read Alex Kraft's article on STS. And I think he seemed, he seemed to like Mark Fields. Yeah, he, he blew some assignments. He looked a little bit lost from time to time. But he's the guy. Let me make an argument for the secondary. It's particularly the, the cornerback position because Brent Venable's post-game interview was pissed. He's, he's pissed about the secondary. He he likes our safeties, hates our cornerbacks, he hates our depth there, and he does. He was. Is, is he ever going to be happy in in spring football though? Man, I, that's not his mo. Good point, but like he's been less miserable at times going into in the, the 2014 season. Guy was about as happy. I mean, he looked like he was very miserable, but less the less miser- the least miserable I've ever seen him in 2014. Well, let me make an argument for the secondary. Two arguments. One being. It's not going to be that bad, and the other being it, it could be a shit show. And one is the guys we have in three of the four positions in the secondary are really good players. Van Smith, I like, you know, I kind of disagree with Alex Kraft in terms of he's got work to do. He might have looked bad, at, yeah, you know, the film. He might have looked a little bit bad, a little bit out of position, but the coaches like him. I think he's going to be just fine. I think Jadar Johnson's going to be really good. And then Tankersley, I think he's an NFL player. So all that leaves you was three three fourths of our secondary. Starters look really good. Then you have Mark Fields. Uh, you have Trayvon Mullen. Maybe Adrian Baker at the opposite uh, cornerback position. I, I don't think it could be that bad. And this is ob- obviously my optimistic, you know, kind of rundown here. But that's. I mean, you look at it like that on paper. We're not so bad in the secondary. Well, and again, I, and I brought this up in uh, I believe our last episode. I think it part of it comes down to between Mullen, Wallace, and Isaiah Simmons coming in. Uh, in the second, does one of them step up? Can one of them step up and fill a role? So that that's one of my uh, my points. And the other one is Corn Wiggins. How does he bounce back? You know, we finally got an update from Dabo. 
um, either today or yesterday, I believe, um, giving us a little bit of update of his progress. And I've been a little concerned that he hasn't bounced back from that ACL injury as fast as we would have hoped. And we hear Adrian Baker could be back in like October, right? In September, October. Uh, when did Wiggins have this ACL injury? Was it about a year ago this time? I can't remember. I think it was around fall practice. Okay. Or you know, going into the into the season, I believe. So, yeah. And by the way, I think Wiggins will be at. I don't think he'll be at safety. We have this idea that it makes sense to move him at safety because we need the depth and he's a solid player. But I think from what I've heard from Venables, it looks like they're going to keep him as a in the nickel position. So I don't even see him as a as an answer at, at safety. But he's going to kind of play that position Travis Blinks played last year. Is that correct? Correct. Which is not safety. It's it's a nickel. So, but he still helps more in coverage, right? Over the top. He will, and I think he'll than be a traditional. A, other than like unlike a traditional linebacker, he'll be an asset for sure. Yeah, and. Where he'll be, I don't know. Coming off an injury, though, I don't think they're going to put the burden of have him, having him learn a new position. So yeah. I don't see him as an answer there at safety. And you're right. It, it was in August uh, of last year uh, where he came down with that injury. So, uh, you know, the timetable probably is about right, especially with what they're telling us about Adrian Baker. So um, just really hoping for him, though, to bounce back because I think he will have, I think it will have an effect in helping on the coverage. Right. No, he could be – he was a very good player for that 2014 defense. I mean, and then maybe some bright spots. Dorian O'Daniel, who I think people forget, he was a four-star linebacker out of Maryland. I mean, he was really good. And by the way, if you see him in, in an interview, I always like to pay attention to the player interviews. I like to see if guys are – you won't learn a whole lot. Some guys just aren't good from the mic. I never, like, write a guy off because he, he can't – you know, he's not good on the microphone. But guys like Eric McLean – uh, ben Bulware, Dorian Daniel, I always used to like Jaron Curse. Uh, just really good. Mackenzie Alexander, really good. Rarely on the mic, but really good. So uh, going back to Dorian Daniel, he's really good. He, he's um, he's, not, he's he knows what he's doing. He's got a lot of confidence going into the season. It's he's his charismatic. He's charismatic, yeah. Um, he, he sounds like he's he's finally putting it together. I guess like he was even by his own admission, he had been slacking off, wasn't putting in as much work. You know, whatever the reasons, he's his fourth year with the program. But now. how odd is it that he was a guy that would always have great games against Georgia Tech in the triple option? It's I mean that's why I think we're going to beat Georgia Tech again this year. Not because necessarily just of him, the way that we uh, schematically, the way that Brent Venables has everything set set up, the way that we you know tackles for loss, we've led the nation. Or been tops in the nation. I just think we're we're set up for that for that uh, Sam position, that strong game, side linebacker to just have a field day. That and games in Atlanta, it still scares me. We haven't played well there recently, but honestly, uh, as long as Cole Stout's not throwing touchdowns to Georgia Tech, I think we'll be we'll be just fine. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I expect we'll win that game too. But you know, when we're expected to be so great, I'm still a little uneasy as every game comes, and especially in Atlanta, um, where we haven't fared well recently. But again, it just goes back. It's been odd to me that we've seen him play uh, so great in those games against Georgia Tech and not see the field uh, for the most part um, in other games. So it'll be really interesting to see him uh, come on in that linebacker position uh, and make a statement this year, as well as Kendall Joseph stepping in there for uh, B.J. Goodson and then also Ben Boulware. The impact, you know, he gets better and better every year. I think the thing for him this year is is a little more disciplined on his blitzes um, and then also in coverage just to improve in that area. But uh, aside from those guys, the depth at our linebacker position, that was the one part of the defense that was really thin last year. Um, and we, But we had guys we could rely on. Uh, so my wonder is going into this year with the secondary, is it kind of the same situation or is it different? Was last year with the linebackers with – you know, we had two guys we could really count on, and then we had, uh, you know, a few guys switching out of that, that third linebacker position. Was it a situation where the our defensive line was so great and our secondary was so good, it kind of compensated for the fact and, and covered those guys, whereas just your linebackers and your defensive line can't really do that for your secondary? I think... Um... Is this year going to be a different situation, whereas the lack of depth in the secondary really affects us more than the lack of depth in the linebacker uh, crew was for us last year? So comparing the lack, okay, so you're comparing the lack of depth in 2000 uh, or in last year in uh, can a at lack, the linebacker position. Can a lack of depth in your linebacker position be more easily compensated for 
uh, I, well, than your lack of first, depth let's, in the let's, secondary. Let's keep in mind last year as a linebacker unit, for one, we had really good health. Uh, health, you know, just because and once it, the season started, we got yeah, we got really lucky. Granted, we, we got dinged up. Or uh, Ben Bulwer was playing in a in a sling, or he was you know his shoulder was killing him, and he must get like three or four concussions a game. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh man. I mean, him and Goodson really hit you. I mean, they play very violent, just the way Brent Venables would want it. So the depth in the secondary, it's hard to make that comparison because of the good health that we had at linebacker. What's interesting, going back to last year, is how I think we could listen at some of our position group previews, and I think we said the secondary is going to be really good. It's going to mask weaknesses in our pass rush. It's going to help our linebackers as they get up to speed, as they're learning what to do. That might be our weak link. As it turned out, isn't this crazy? Our defensive line was just straight dominant. And I, I, interior, defensive end, everything. We, we weren't great as pass rushers, but we were, good, we were good. And then our linebackers were really solid. It was our secondary that was... They were solid against the run, though. They weren't great in coverage. They got beat a lot in coverage, the linebackers did. Yeah. I, you could make the case that they were our weakest link because... Hankersley and Mac were really good. It was, and, and even our safeties were really good. Green and Curse. It was just early on in the season, things. though. We started to see a lot of missed assignments from the safeties later right. in the season. A lot of fatigue and getting wore down and worn down. And then we hear about um, at least rumors that possibly J. Ron Curse and T.J. Green were more focused on the NFL, which would explain a lot if that was the case. Um, but you know, I can buy that they were a liability, especially later in the season. Right, and I guess. Tying it back to this year, I think it's pretty obvious, and I would be surprised. I mean, I would have been surprised last year if you would have told me the secondary. Not that they weren't really, really good, but they they weren't as good as we thought. And this season, I think the secondary will be uh, the weak link, the weakest link, and I I would be hard. I I think it would be very – I'd be very surprised to find out otherwise. I think we know what we're getting. I think linebacker position, going back to them, Boer is going to be great. Kendall Joseph, Alex Kraft, he watched the film. He looked really good. He he is not. It wasn't. He had beaten out B.J. Goodson last year before he got hurt. Right, and I think the coaches. Well, they said that, and it wasn't just coach speak. I think they they feel very good about him. And then you have Trey Lamar, who Shaq Smith. Yeah, and I, I like both of those guys. I mean, I, I think we all knew at Shaq Smith or uh, Trey Lamar. We thought he might have a chance of picking up things. I think Shaq Smith's going to be a player. I don't know if it's going to be this year. Don't know if it's going to be right away. But I think Trey Lamar just naturally is the way his makeup is meant for that Mike middle linebacker in our in our scheme. He was all over the field in the spring game. He, it's going to be hard keeping him off the field. But I, I just say all together collectively, it's going to be a, uh, a solid upgrade from last year. Um, the unit altogether will be better. Um, well, again, I guess to, to wrap this all up, it, it still seems like the weak spot is going to be the secondary. I think we all agree on that. And I guess back to what I said before, I think if we can have one of the young guys coming in, uh, Wallace, uh, Simmons, or um, Mullen, Mullen yeah. uh, can, can, can come in and actually you know, demand some playing time and actually show up and uh, perform better than even what we would expect out of a freshman uh, secondary and then get Adrian Baker back at some point in the season um, and then maybe have another guy like something click with Mark Fields. I, I still think we're going to be okay. Listen, the difference is uh, between these Clemson teams we've seen the last few years where we talk about these guys leaving for the draft or the injuries or stuff like that is that the talent that we have behind them filling in is great. We have been recruiting so well that we can overcome a lot of these things. I mean, listen, if we didn't have a lot of the injuries from last year, a lot of the guys getting kicked off the team, we win the national championship. I mean, because we have the best of the best guys on the field. As it turns out, we had damn near the best of the best and almost won. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I do disagree with you just because of pe- losing people. Yeah, we're bringing in good guys, but they're not ready. They're, yeah, you bring in some four stars, it still takes a little bit of development. And I think I think you see that you're seeing that with Mark Fields. You you might see that with Trayvon Mullen. I'm not. I, from what I saw on film, I'm not sold on him. I, he could prove me wrong, but I don't think he's naturally a cornerback. I think he played all over the field as a high school player. I think Kavon Wallace might be the guy that surprises people, but I don't know. I think they're going to have to rely a lot on talent. We'll see. They're going to have to really have it going on for them in between the years. They're going to have to be very smart and they have to put in the work if they want to be successful. 
Um, yeah, at the end of the day, I trust this coaching staff. You know, they've done, again, really well in recruiting lately. They, they have a tendency to, to key on really um, high-character guys, too, to where a lot of these other things you may normally be worried about with a guy that just has talent kind of falling through the seams, kind of like a Mike Bellamy did uh, a few years ago. Um, it seems like we're straying away from that. We're really kind of going, you know, getting the, the, the pick of the litter, so to speak, and hitting on the guys that we're really focusing on and, and shying away from the ones that are super talented um, but have, have some issues that maybe don't fit in with the philosophy and the culture that Dabo has created at Clemson. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's true. That's true. And I think... I think you see that we'll see, and just the, that we were able to get in, in other years, we would have never gotten Mullen and Kevon Wallace that late in the game. Isaiah like, Simmons, Isaiah Simmons, and we did. So now let's now let's can they be good, and how quick can they can they get there? And I don't, I mean, come on, you're talking about true freshmen. They're not five stars. I mean, they are highly rated, but they're not five. I, we'll we'll see. This could be the weak link. I don't think we've had a weakness in the secondary in three years now, or a, a pronounced weak link like this, and that's the the you know the the opposite corner to tank, and then the lack of depth at, at the safety position. So um, I don't know we'll we'll see. We got to really hope for a, a stronger pass rush this season, and then um, and really really dominant um, defensive line interior line performance. Well, in Venables, I trust. Um, so my tendency is to think that we'll be just fine. Okay, blind trust. It's uh, it, it, it worked last year, and look what happened. Yeah, I mean, look at the depth chart, man. It tells it tells a story. Anyhow, let's let's move on to baseball. Um, things are going okay, I guess. Um, well, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, considered what uh, considering what expectations were coming into the season and what we um, had left from last year coming in, the deficiencies we had, we you know, lost a lot of uh, pitching from last year, but. Monty Lee's first season, man, 25-12 and 12 at this point. Yeah, the last few series in the ACC ha- haven't gone well. We dropped 2-3 uh, to Duke, who's not a great baseball team, and they got swept by Louisville, who is a really good baseball team. Um, one game we were in it, uh, two games we just got absolutely annihilated. Uh, but overall, if you take a snapshot and, you know, and take a look at where we are at this point in the season, uh, we're only 8-10 in the ACC, which isn't great, but we're still ranked. We've been ranked for like six or seven weeks now. I don't think a lot of people would have expected this coming into Monty Lee's first season. So I think kudos to him. Um, and I, there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, we haven't played great lately, but you know we're still... And we talked about this earlier in the year, that we were going to have to see how the season got going. And there was a few things we were going to have to figure out. And one of those things was pitching. And we're still figuring that out. And some decisions have been made lately, uh, namely to, to send Schmidt to the bullpen and bring up another uh, uh, weekend starter, a third weekend starter, and that's going to be between Raleigh Gilliam, uh, who had a really good start against uh, Georgia in our 12-0 win against Georgia this week. And you pitch five innings and only give it one run. Um, and then Alex Bostic and Alex Schnell uh, both have had really good seasons. So shaking things up. But the, the fact of the matter is we've gotten this far in the season, knowing that we're going to have to figure these things out, and we're still 25-12. We're still ranked. That's great. And I think a lot of that... Credit goes to Monty Lee and the culture change in this program. We've had some bad losses. We've also had some really good wins. Um, and but this team always fights back. And when we got swept by Miami, we fought back. There was some heartbreak in that series, losing some games late, but we fought back. Uh, against Louisville, we got uh, this past weekend. We got killed in the first two games. That third game, we got down and we fought back. Yeah, we ended up losing it at the end, but this this Clemson team from uh, this year is a lot different from Clemson team from under Jack Leggett from last year in that these guys don't give up and they believe in themselves. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed. There needs to be better pitching. There needs to be a hell of a lot better defense because that's a lot of the reason why the pitching hasn't been so great. Listen, we have 17 more errors than our opponents this year. You can't win baseball games like that. Um, but luckily, our hitting has been good enough to, overcome, to to compensate for a lot of those shortcomings. Right. I think that psychologically, just as a pitcher, too, the the added the extra outs that they have to get, you know, having to get four, five outs in an inning, that that takes a toll too. Especially in college baseball. Right. Yeah. There's a lot more firepower on offense. What uh, you talk about the defense? This is a carryover from Jack Leggett's final years. What do you attribute this to? I mean, I, is this 
I haven't, you know, looked at, I haven't kept up quite as closely the last two weeks. Is this a um, ongoing thing, certain guys in the field, or is it just throughout? The well, Monty Lee came into the season really stressing the uh, the middle of the defense, uh, up the middle, second base, shortstop, and then you know center field of being strong. And honestly, from the shortstop position, um, Eli White he leads the team in errors, which his shortstop usually does, but his he's just not been solid lately, and that's been a huge problem. And then uh, from third base, you know, Renwick, in addition to his bat not not producing, he hasn't been great at third base either defensively. So. We're going to start to see some things being uh, shaken up. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I imagine Eli, White, Eli White's going to stay in there as the starting shortstop. But we hear that uh, Andrew Cox may be coming back, who got off to a great start this season with his bat. You put him in at first and move Chris Williams over to third base, whose bat has started to come around lately. And I, I like that move. I think it's one of those moves that really can uh, compensate for some of your weaknesses um, and really, it, it's one of those moves that you need to make in the middle of the season that really kind of turn turn around the track of the way that things have been going. Let me ask you, Chris Williams, I, I liked his bat too. I think he started off slow because he was getting mop-up duty. He wasn't getting a lot of at-bats. But I, you could tell you could tell he looked good at the plate. He had a lot of poise, and, and ultimately his average started to kind of reflect his ability, his yeah, skill. Yeah, I mean, some hitters get off to a slow start. That happens. And, you know, in Major League Baseball, you play 162 games, and you're allowed long stretches of being in a slump to get out of them. In college baseball, you're you're not as patient. But his bat has started to come around. So I think if his defense is solid enough, we can move over to third base and shore up that side of the infield. I was going to ask you, is, is his de- I mean, he doesn't look like the most fleet-footed guy there uh, if he played at the hot corner. But I guess... Andre Rick- Scalaraga was a great defensive first baseman. He was pretty fat. So no, I'm talking about as a third, but you're moving who you're moving Cox over to third base, or is Chris Williams moving? Yeah, to third well, base? I'm just talking in general about uh, guys who aren't fleet of foot playing the infield in uh, in baseball. I'm saying it can be done. I'm talking about the hot corner here, you have to be a little bit more mobile, I guess, right? Than the first baseman. Yeah, well, uh, I guess right I, now I, the I kind of want to bring up the Pablo Sandoval reference, but he's not oh, doing yeah. so well. So that would be. <laughs> There's a big guy that flops around and, and, and falls on uh, batted balls. Anyways. He needs to be playing defensive tackle for, uh, I don't even know who he plays for anymore. Um, anyhow, so, but no, that would be great if, he, if you get Cox back in and he can get that's, back. Again, that's not the issue. It, it's not stopping the ball. The throws have been terrible. I mean, it's great to bring Cox back in and put him on first base. You almost need to bring Legend Roberton in from the baseball team, seven-footer, uh, so he can catch some of these balls being thrown that way. I mean, it's fundamentals, and... You know, some guys have it and some guys don't. I mean, that's this is stuff that needs to be developed in the offseason. And again, Monty Lee has, came in, has come in and changed the culture. And that is clearly evident so far. But that's easier to do um, kind of on a quicker timeline than it is to change the, the coaching style, the fundamentals, and pitching and stuff like that. So I think we're going to need to let that play out over the course of a few years, get some different guys in and recruiting. Uh, to really um, realize the benefits and his talents and what that he does have as a coach. But I, I think the thing that is clearly evident is the culture change, and that is our, our record this season reflects that. Yeah, and he did, you know, I don't want to like kind of put a bullseye on any Clemson players, but it seems, and once this is kind of odd, that if you're, I mean, traditionally, if your bat's not, if it's not an asset for you, if you're not a good hitter, at least you make up for it with the glove, but it seems like certain guys, Eli White, is not he's not a good fielder, hasn't been reliable at shortstop. Yeah, you're, you're right, you get more opportunities at shortstop, but at the same time, he's, uh, he's, he's not making the most of those opportunities. You do expect to have some level of, uh, I guess, quality as a, as a shortstop, and then he's not actually hitting too well, right? I mean, he's not backing that up, at least with some offense. So... I have to think there's some guys in South Carolina, and you talk about recruiting to offset some of this. Uh, you have to think there's some guy out there. He, he might he might hit at the Mendoza line, but at least he can he can you know, provide a quality glove at shortstop. Well, and that's the thing. A lot of times in baseball, you, you're okay with your shortstop not being that great offensively because of the runs they save on defense more than makes up for that. But in this case, um, it's not the case, right? He's not hitting well, and he's not fielding very well. I think that speaks more to that there's just nobody on this team uh, else that can play shortstop that we can depend on. Um, so there's only so much that can be done there. That's when I start looking to other 
areas of the infield. You know, Weston Wilson has been uh, you know pretty good at second base, but the th- third base has been a problem. Um, and you know, there are going to be changes made, so we'll we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I think uh, there are a few things that I've seen this year Monty Lee do that um, have been positive. I I think seeing Malik Gibson out there in left field, he made some great defensive plays over the weekend. And again, I think when you, when your hitting is going well, like we're locked in hitting, hitting is not the issue. Um, if your pitching is struggling and your defense is as well, I do really think the first thing you have to look at is your defense because I think if you have solid defense uh, behind a subpar mediocre pitching staff, it just gives them more confidence and they will perform better. So I think it starts there. Yeah, the strong correlation there. And I think you're right in terms of uh, pitching, defense, uh, talking about the culture, you have seen that quick shot in the arm from Ani Lee, which is – and then you always hear about, even with Luggett, coaching. Uh, that, that goes, and when defense is poor, that goes to coaching. But it does take some time for those things to come in. What did you see in the Louisville series in terms of, in terms of talent? Like we saw the Miami series sweep, Louisville series sweep. Um, I thought we matched up really well with Miami in terms of talent. What, what was the kind of the discrepancy, or what did you see in terms of how we matched up with Louisville on paper? Well, I, I think hitting-wise, we match up, you know, you know, with any great with anybody in the country, like our, our hitting is great, especially with Seth Beer. Like he's amazing. Chris Oakey's having a great year. Uh, pitching, there is a lot to be desired still, but I think we have a serviceable enough pitching staff. Again, to where if our defense plays well, we'll we'll be fine. But our, our defense in that series was absolutely terrible. Uh, we had five errors in the last game of that series, a game that we lost by one run. You know, you don't have those five errors. Hell, you take it down to three because Louisville had four. Um, and we win that game. So I, I think it really does come down to that. I, I think the big difference between us and Louisville was they do have better pitchers, but their defense is generally, even though they did have four errors in that last game, is generally a lot better. So I, I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, But at the end of the day, listen, we can complain about it all we want, but we're sitting at 25-12. and 12. I think the season, we're going to end out the season really well. I think uh, our next 12 games are at home. Uh, and 13 of our last 19 are home, and we'll see what some home cooking can do. It did well at, with Georgia this past week. We beat them 12 nothing. So I still think we can get close to 40 wins. I don't think we quite get there. I think we get around the 37 win mark, but I still think it's a possibility for us to actually host a regional, and who would have thought that? We were going to be happy if you know we just barely missed making uh, the college baseball playoffs this year, but we could host a, re- a regional. That's, you know, that. You know that's a success for this season in, in, in Clemson baseball. I think. No, definitely. I think we even said at the very beginning. You said, "Hey, I think a regional is in play," and I was like, "I'm okay if it's not." I still feel like we're because, like you said, recruiting, get an influx of guys that you recruit and having different options to to mix in at shortstop or wherever. Um, but yeah, it seems like we're one, two years away. Uh, Beer is going to be around for a couple more years. That's a good sign. Um, Anyhow, but I think I think bottom line, what you're saying is, if our defense wasn't horrible, if it was just average, we would legitimately be probably a top ten, top fifteen team. I wonder if beer, that's not asking a lot. Beer is going to have three seasons, so two more after this one. He's hitting about, I think he's hitting four twenty seven right now. Do you think he can hit over five hundred one year? <laughs> he's a true freshman. He's only going to get That's a good better. question. Or do the Lara averages come into play and like? Every ball you hit, like no matter how hard you hit them, a lot of them are going to go right at somebody. What if he hits over 500? I have to look up that stat. Has anybody ever hit over 500 in a season in college baseball, having you know, a, 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 you know, surpassing a threshold of the bats? I don't think he, I don't think he'll hit 500, but it's not because he's not he can't be that great of a hitter by his sophomore or junior year. I don't think he'll hit 500 because he won't see enough pitches or good pitches. He'll get off speed stuff. He'll get stuff. He'll get walks, intentional walks. He'll get, um, you know, probably a few inside fastballs. But I don't think he'll get a lot of like true at bats over the next couple of years. So can I can I throw this out to you real quick? Yeah. All right. So Chris Oakey, he's batting three forty eight. That that's a damn good Solid. batting average. Yeah. Good. He's got seven home runs. Um, he's got thirty four strikeouts on the season. Chase Pender three twenty six. Another good average. Uh, he's second on the team in home runs. Uh, with eight. Okay. He's got tweet off. You get 25 strikeouts. Seth Beer, 427. 14 home runs leads the team 
almost twice as much as, the, as this next second guy. He's only got 10 strikeouts on the season. He's got incredible, like, he, he shouldn't be playing college baseball. I mean, he should be playing high school baseball, but he shouldn't be in college. He should be playing in the minor league starting next year. It's, it's, he's a phenomenon, and it's, it's, I mean, part of uh, building a lot of uh, excitement around the program has been Monty Lee coming in, but Seth Beer, no, we didn't know what we were getting. Nobody saw that coming. I mean, the coaches, I'm sure, did. You know, yeah. diehards that really, really follow baseball recruiting, like, who the hell does that? Nobody uh, maybe saw this coming, but what? He was the number two rated high school player in the nation. So. Yeah, but did you know he was going to be this good? Yeah, you never know. A lot of those guys just take the money. They, get, they take the signing bonus, but no, I don't. I mean, and that's the thing when you hear about the number two baseball player in the nation, you're like, ah, he's not going to go to college, right? We've we've actually missed out on a few recently. So um, now he's incredible. I think he's worth the price of admission alone, and he's worth keeping up with Clemson baseball if you're if you're a you know fair weather fan. His slugging percentage is 300 points higher than the second person on the team. That's yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to be getting the Barry Bonds treatment very soon. I mean, I'm sure he already is. You can't put a guy good enough in the lineup to protect him, but he... He protects himself somehow. I don't know. Bright, bright future. Um, let's get some better defense. Future number one draft pick, Major League Baseball. Yeah, too bad the Braves can't bottom out for too long. I feel like they're only going to get a little bit better. Um, we'll see. They Anyhow. Can't, you can't get any worse. Right, so we're gonna we're gonna call it quits here, and uh, anyway, we'll be back. I think probably in a week or two. I'm trying to get Alex Kraft, uh, the your film guru, on, and um, he's gonna join us, and we're gonna try to have a human conversation about you know kind of synthesizing some of the schematic stuff to a more uh, to more layman's terms. And hope you've enjoyed it. Go Tigers. <laughs>